Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 17th, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, The Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, Beware, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Enjoy. Good morning, Highlands. It is awesome to be here and to bring the word to you. Today, we're going to be in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Um, we'll be talking today about a serious subject. The title of today's sermon is Beware. Jesus starts with this word, Beware of False Prophets. Today is one of those types of messages that in preparing for it, it has absolutely taken me to my outer limits in my ability to look and study. And I feel like there has been all kinds of intervention and obstacles and constraints getting in the way. So with that, I want to start by using an illustration of talking a little bit about um, years ago, sociologists wanted to do an experiment with children. And so they built a playground. And on that playground, they put equipment and all kinds of play equipment in the dead center of the playground. This is like the old school days, the days when I was in elementary school and there were no fences. In fact, we just played on a big field and there were supervision and, and people out there to make sure that we were safe. But in this sociological experiment, they built the equipment, there were no fences, and what they noticed is that the vast majority of the kids played on the equipment. Whereas when they put a fence in to further their study, children, most of them, played out in the outer limits of the fences. See, one of the difficulties we have in our life is that we have a tendency to want to play to the outer limits of that. The question oftentimes gets asked to me, how wide is the narrow road? Where can I go? Where can I push the limits on that? Whereas really the intent is to be centered in the middle, to be where God wants you. Thomas last week spoke about the wide road and the narrow road. Today we're going to complete that thought with obstacles and hazards that are on that road. So as we dig into this, I want to be I want to give an illustration, a word picture that helps us to understand this path, this narrow road as believers that we're on. What does it really look like? I remember about 31 years ago, for many of you, you know the story, where I was carjacked and I was assaulted. And in that, they arrested two of the three men that did it. But one of the requirements was for myself and the other victim to go down to the county jail, Los Angeles County lockup. And in that lockup, we were prepared. They told us that the viewing room, the, the lineup room, is at the very dead center of the prison. And to get there, they showed us a map of how we were going to walk. They provided us a deputy who was on the front end of the group and a deputy on the back. There was lawyers representing the defendants and there was lawyers representing the state or the county in this case. And then there was the two victims. And so we were told to stay with the deputies. We were to walk down the middle of this main hall. And in this main hall, if you could imagine this 20 or so foot wide hallway with a yellow line right down the dead center of it. And they had instructed us, stay as close to the yellow line as you can and always stay with the deputies. It was daunting. As I started to realize, we're walking down the main hall of the prison. On both sides are prisoned people 
And they're loud. And they're yelling crass things. And all kinds of horrible words are coming out of their mouths. And their arms are flailing. And the one thing that stuck with me the most about those, those guards, about those deputies, is they told us 18 inches either way of that yellow line, they can reach you. I was fearful. I want for us to picture the road, the narrow road. We think of it as two paths, but what if we were to look at it as one path with two different layers? There's obstacles and there's hazards. There's all kinds of people yelling and causing uh, distraction and disruption, and they're yelling things that are so offensive on the sign that they're obvious in that they're not true teachers of God's word. But what if in our hypothetical scenario on this very real walk, what if one of those convicts had escaped and instead of running, he dressed himself as a deputy and he was in fact the one that was escorting us to the very dead center of the prison. Now that didn't happen, but in our scenario, we're painting a word picture to understand what does it really mean? What does it look like? Because the narrow path that you're on in fact, includes width. But what God has asked you to do is to stay to here. And the difficulty is there's going to be all kinds of hazards, all kinds of distractions, things that are gonna wanna lure you to the outer edges of this road. In fact, I think that you should understand that the narrow path itself is anything but peaceful. It's a hard road. It's a difficult road. And it's a road that God places us on to sanctify us, to grow us, to help us to mature in our faith. But he gives us an incredible warning. In fact, it's important to understand that the very nature of the guard that is taking you down the hallway is not good. He's dressed like a protector. He's dressed in a way that shows him. But it's clear for us to understand, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so he does. You see, it's in his nature. And that which we dwell on, that which is our muse. If your muse is Christ, then you do Christ. If your muse is self or the world or Satan himself, there is nothing but evil that will come from you. That's where we start with our word picture. So join me in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. It says, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes and, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit, because it's not in their nature. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, calm my soul, Lord. Help me as I go through this passage, this text, help us as a congregation, as a community, to trust fully in you, 
that no, one, no matter what is thrown at us, no matter what distractions, no matter what falsehoods, Lord, that you would protect us and that you would lead us on this path that leads to your glory. Help us, Lord, as a people to grow in your grace and in the knowledge of your son. It's in Christ's name that we do pray, amen. There's one problem with false teachers, false prophets. That one problem is simple. These people are not genuine believers. They never were. In fact, Jesus describes them as a wolf. He says that they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't know about you, but I don't dress sheep up in clothing. So the clothing is making reference to a shepherd, someone who is taking care of the sheep. It is, in fact, a leader. It's a person who's leading the sheep. And so what he does is he comes in sheep's clothing, or in our illustration, He's dressed as a deputy, escorting you through a very violent room. We start to understand that not only are they not believers, but the wolf is dressed as a teacher, given power and authority over the sheep. This is such an important role. It's not one that I actually wish upon people to stand up here and to preach, to preach to a room that's empty and a room that is just me and a camera is difficult. But to put a group of people in here raises the bar even greater because it's not what I say, it's what does God's word say. You see, I'm merely the messenger. I'm the person delivering what is written in his word and trying to help us to understand it to its fullest ability. You must examine everything that is said. You must take the words that come out of my mouth and compare them to God's word. Nothing is based upon Jeff's opinion or Thomas or Bob or Ed or Mark or any one of our preaching pastors. You must challenge everything with the very word of God. But this one problem within false prophets is that they are in fact not a believer. They may look like a leader, they may look like a teacher, but they are not a leader and a teacher of the faith. James 3.1 gives a warning to teachers. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If you want to add to the hazards on your narrow path, just simply come and teach the word. The wolf's nature in itself is to kill and destroy it's more aligned with the similar to the thief that is described in John's gospel. In John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, the thief that is going to come has a narrow focus of destroying the continuity of Matthew 7 starts really in verse 12, commonly known as the golden rule. Thomas spoke on it last week. It summarizes all that has gone on before. It points to Jesus Christ, who is the only possible source of goodness. And then in Matthew 7, verses 13 all the way through 29, Bob will be speaking about some of that next week, but Jesus presents a series of warnings designed to keep his listeners from falling by the wayside through unbelief, through apathy, deceit, or hypocrisy, or even discouragement. You see, the narrow path to the narrow gate has hazards on the path, and so Jesus starts his message on this section with beware. 
Anytime you see that sign, you should be, become cognitive of what's going on around you. In fact, he breaks things into three different choices for us. He talks about the path, the path or the direction of our lives, which gate we will choose. He also talks about the choice of influencers. To what kind of teaching and teachers will you submit? And then thirdly, he talks about what kind of path we have been, in fact, pursuing. It's no coincidence that Jesus warns false prophets here. In fact, after teaching about two gates, two paths, two crowds, and two destinations, he ends by contrasting two responses to discerning Christ's teachings. And he says, oh, and beware of false prophets. Point one for us is beware of false prophets. You see, to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So what is a false prophet? A false prophet in, in this era, in this time, is a foreteller of future events. Or they're a teacher of doctrine. Remember, the text is not talking about participating members but is specifically talking about leaders or teachers with influence of people. So the false prophet is a leader within the church. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3 tells us, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul tells us to avoid such people. You know, avoiding them seems so obvious. But then again, why is it not so obvious? When I go back to that hallway in the L.A. County lockup, I remember as we were walking down, the crudest and most crass things were being yelled, especially at the two women who were with us in this group. And as we walked down, I noticed one particular man sitting in his cell, very calm. As he made eye contact with the ladies, he looked at them and he says, don't worry, you'll be safe. The guards will take care of you. Be, don't worry, it'll get better. As if to be looking at them. I could imagine that if one of them had to walk through that hallway every single day, over a period of time, it might become a lure or an enticement to step outside of the 18 inches of that yellow line. Maybe to be kind and ask him, how is he? But you have to remember that what is there is a ravenous wolf. And it has a design to kill and destroy. As we start to look at this, avoiding that seems obvious because what's obviously going on here is not right and is not biblical. It seems like it wouldn't be a distraction at all. But why is it not so obvious? In Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 3 says, I charge you in the presence of God of Christ Jesus. Skipping a little bit there, it says, 
In verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I pray daily that that would never be me. I hope that every time I stand up here and preach God's word, that you understand that I am preaching to myself. Today, I am literally preaching to myself. And it's important for us not to be conceited with God's word, not to elevate ourselves into some pedestal, but to understand that at the end of the day, I must submit myself to the very word of God itself. And I cannot be attracted to hearing things that I want to hear, but I must be exclusively focused on what Jesus wants me to hear. It's not about me. There's questions that pop up in our minds. Are there false teachers today? Let me tell you with great assurance, yes, there are false teachers, false prophets today. Such teachers or leaders will lead people away from the truth, from the source of salvation. They're not always easy to recognize because oftentimes it's not really what they're saying, it's what they're not saying. It's the omission. It's like when Satan tempted Eve. Did God really say? You see, he utilized a half-truth and he omitted the other part and he convinced her that it was okay to eat the fruit. False prophets distort the gospel and they try to persuade us to enter by the narrow gate and not walk along the hard way. You see, you're on the path and their whole objective is not to remove you from the road, but just to pull you far enough off to the side where the obvious evil is so that they can take you away from being dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ and him alone. Does God allow men who are influenced by Satan to become church members? Yes. Let me go a step further. They're watching today. They're part of our community. They're hazards in the middle of your fairway. You're trying to walk through the narrow path, but the narrow path is going to have hazards. This is why Jesus says, beware. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15 tells us, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. In other words, you will know them by their fruit. James Montgomery Boyce said, Jesus is actually warning against men who will be seen in the churches and appear to speak for God when their teaching is really of the devil. Jesus is now, in fact, testing his listeners. And he's testing you by fruit and by circumstance. It's important for us to know that what Jesus is not looking for is to be known as the world's greatest preacher. He doesn't need your praise or accolades for the things that he's saying. What he needs is your practice. 
He's calling you to live a life of godliness. It's not the manner in which he's delivering it. It's the authority of what he's saying, and you best execute what he's saying. Not your own definition of what he's saying. In fact, a long time ago in the 1800s, a woman once approached Charles Haddon Spurgeon and told him, Pastor Spurgeon, you could be the very best preacher that has ever spoken the word of God. Spurgeon, I'm paraphrasing, says, Madam, I am well aware of this, for the devil has already told me. You see, it's not about our accolades. And even when we misspeak, it's not about our misspoken words. It's not about our ego. It's not about ignorance. It's about the practice of holiness. We are talking about teachers that by nature lead people away from Christ. Subtle movements towards the wide road. They are church leaders, influencers of doctrine, and they're here today. Anyone within the church that has influence on a person could in fact be a false prophet. So it's important that we learn how to recognize them. You know, I was thinking about all kinds of illustrations, but the one that kept coming to my mind was our United States Secret Service, which of course reports to the Department of Treasury. We start to understand that how they go about training our agents in counterfeit money. See, outside of guarding the president and other dignitaries, their number one job is to protect the currency of the United States. And so oftentimes we get this idea that we train in understanding what counterfeit technology or counterfeit uh, mon uh, uh, money looks like, smells like. But you see, the exact opposite is what they do. What they do is they lock them in a room filled with nothing but real, true currency. They smell it. They see it, they taste it, they touch it, they recognize it, so that the moment that false currency touches their hands, they immediately know it's counterfeit. So it is with God's word. We start to realize that if I just took two things, one of these is counterfeit, it's not even real. In fact, it has a picture of me on the back of it, but I won't show you the back. What I wanna do is just show you the simplicity right here. This is two $20 bills, one of them is not real. You're at home, you tell me. Which one isn't real? Not the easiest thing in the world to tell. But here's the reality of it. If you could be here, if you could walk up here and touch it, what you would see is that the currency that was in my right hand is fake. The currency in my left hand is real. But see, unless you can get next to it, unless you can touch it, it's difficult to know the difference between it. It's why it's so important for us to know the word of God. So that when false doctrine, when false truth touches us, we immediately know this isn't right. This isn't how God designed it. <coughs> this isn't how God designed it. We need to understand that 1 Timothy 4.1 says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, 
Now, at first blank glance, it says depart from the faith. It connotates that there was already a present salvation. But instead, there's a time that's coming that they will completely depart from even their false clothing. They never were, in fact, saved. They've never been a believer. But eventually, they will grow in this. The picture given by the Apostle Paul is one in which a person's conscience or their convictions have been desensitized. They've become so numb to their falsehood that they no longer even guard against it. Through repeated exposure to evil, a person's sense of right and wrong can become numb to the point that the person can no longer easily distinguish between good and evil. These people come to your door and they solicit you as Christians. They say, I'm a Christian. But most of them are false prophets. But worse, they get involved in our church and they influence you from within. It's important that we understand how God's word works so that when it touches us, we immediately know that it's counterfeit. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 15 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me say that again. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted right now, it's coming. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from you who, whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, the false prophet truly believes what they believe. In fact, I'm not even convinced that the wolf doesn't know that it's a wolf. It's its nature. I have no doubt that it does not wake up in the morning and say, man, I have great regret over eating all those sheep. And in fact, thinks nothing about it. I have no doubt that they believe what they believe because it's their nature. Because as his word just said, not only are they deceiving, but they're also growing and being deceived. They go further, they double down. But point two is how will we recognize them? How will we recognize them? Verse 16 says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? This rhetorical, somewhat sarcastic question is that it's what they turn out. It's their throughput. It's not what they say, it's what does it deliver. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. What we understand is we recognize them by the fruit that they produce because that which they produce is simply not congruent with what they claim to be. Luke 6.45 tells us, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, just as it says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit. 
but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You see, the healthy tree is the heart for Christ and him crucified. And a life that lives within that narrow focus. How wide is the narrow path? There it is. That's the total width of it. Everything that we do in our life should be centered on God's word and in that truth because a diseased tree is a heart for the world and for the devil's schemes. And that nature of that person doesn't even know that that's what they're all about. It's frightening. It puts us on guard. And I ask the question again, even in point three, recognize them by their fruit. You have to look to the fruit. He says in verse 19 that every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Notice in particular that Christ's test of fruit has at least two or three aspects to it. Number one, fruit is all about the fruit of doctrine. I hear people all the time say, Jeff, can't we just love Jesus? Can't we just put our hearts on Jesus and not engage in doctrine? Which Jesus are you talking about? If you're going to say that, which Jesus are you talking about? Because the false prophet that comes to my door is going to talk to me about Jesus. Which Jesus? Well, the Jesus of the Bible. Thank you. Thank you for engaging in doctrine. You see, doctrine is what does God's word say? What does it teach? What is he calling you to do? Is his teaching in accordance with the Bible? not his own opinion? Is it in accordance with the sound doctrine which has been received and believed in the church through all the ages? Or is it this brand new thought line? If someone's come to you and saying, hey, here's a brand new thought in God's word, run. Run. The second aspect, besides the Bible and doctrine, is the test of the fruit, is the test of the character of the person teaching. True teaching comes from his lips, but the true test is what does his life look like? Does he live what he teaches? It's not that the, any one of us as preachers are living a perfect life, but when confronted with the truth, how does that person respond? Do they explain it away as a new doctrine? Or do they own it and say, Lord, forgive me? These are radically different approaches. You see, does his life have a life of godliness? Does his life display the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control? Or does his life display the works of the flesh? Does his life show that he's under the lordship of Jesus Christ? You see, the false teacher does not display the fruit of the Spirit. The false teacher has no ability to display the fruit of the Spirit. They'll perform some cheap knockoff of it, but it's not the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the false teacher does not walk in the counsel of the Lord. This third aspect, combining these two, is the fruit of the prophets or the teacher's hearers. What do the people do with the teaching of this teacher? 
What happens in the lives of the followers of this prophet? Does, he, does his teaching promote godliness or does it incite them to ungodliness? Does his teaching exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives and hearts or does it make the Lord Jesus Christ less significant than he is in all of scripture? Does the teaching of the prophet cause ungodly divisions in the body? Or does it promote a healthy biblical and spiritual unity? Brothers and sisters, watch what you post on social media. Many of you are causing divisions even amongst your own brothers and sisters. And I know that you don't intend to do that. But you must watch it. You must beware that it's possible that one of those prisoners on the side is trying to lure and entice you outside of the narrow road. You see, the warning of such self-seeking unrighteousness is frightening. We don't see now God's wrath. This is what makes it so frightening because you would think that if a person is preaching falsehood that God and a giant lightning bolt would come and strike them dead. But that's not what God's word says is gonna happen. Look at it in Romans 2, verses five through eight. It says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, talking about the false teacher, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. This is frightening. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking, self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. That's frightening. That one day, at the end, God will pour out his wrath on those who were false prophets those who are false teachers, those who influence people away from the narrow path. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the inside of man, his true nature, will show itself in the fruit he bears, his beliefs, his teachings, his doctrines, and his life. Like I said at the very beginning, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, so he does. Inward nature always expresses itself in outward actions. We are to closely examine the tree because the tree is the teacher, the prophet, the character and the nature and then notice the fruit for which the prophet bears. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you have nothing to fear. 1 John 4, 6 says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God has equipped you. Most of you, most of us all the time gravitate towards listening to preachers. People will say to me all the time, Jeff, I listen to five preachers a week. How much time did you spend in, word, in the word of God verifying what they said? Well, I mean, they're reputable. I don't care. I don't care how famous they are. Test everything within the word of God. Don't take my word for it, brothers and sisters. Open up the word of God and prove what I just said is right. Live your life to the person of Christ, to obedience to his word. 
Because there are in fact a spirit of truth and a spirit of error and you must know the difference. And if you're not in God's word, you will not. You must be in the truth because there are two gates. There are two ways, there's two crowds and there's two destinations and 18 inches, either way, they can reach you. This is frightening. You see, Jesus warns about these hazards on the narrow path. He promises you that you will have them. And he tells you, beware. Jesus warns us that there will be people who claim to be preaching about his kingdom, but who in fact are preaching falsehood about he, and he warns us to be on guard for them. He says that just as we must be warned to enter into the kingdom the right way, through the narrow way, the way of faith and repentance, the way of trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, resting on him and walking on that narrow way, that way that requires us to walk in holiness and obedience. And by the grace of God, so also we must be careful not to listen to the influence of those who would pull us away from this simple fundamental truth. To God be the glory that we would center on his word. For without his word, you will be lured to the broad road. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the provision of your word. We pray that we would apply it to our lives, that we would practice it, that we would test everything that people say not with another podcast, not with another sermon, but with the very word of God. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace and the knowledge of your son. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, it is in God and God alone that we live our lives. We measure everything to the word of God himself, that we're unified in this word, in this truth. I beg of you today, don't take one word I said as fact but validate it, verify it with the very word of God itself. You must do this. It is your responsibility. It is through that unity in his word that we will sharpen each other, that we will grow in his grace, that we will grow in the knowledge of his son. May that be where our hearts are. So that one day when we come back together, when this physical distancing is over, I pray that we can come back together shake hands and hug and be unified in the very word of God. To him be the glory. I love you guys. We'll see you all next week.